Welcome to Gritty Leaders Podcast. I feel very fortunate to be able to share with you today an interview I've conducted with Patrick Olunig, the founder and CEO of Endreams. Endreams was founded in August 2006, almost 17 years ago, and they're now the largest VR-focused game developer and publisher in the world, with over 230 people and hiring at a rate of 10 a month. Patrick was previously the creative director of SCI and IDOS. You might know them from the games they've been producing over the previous years, such as Synapse, Little Cities, Ghostbusters, Rise of the Ghost Lord, and Phantom Covert Ops. And Patrick will explain some of these in the interview. The VR headsets that you might be familiar with or not are available from places like Sony, PSVR, MetaQuest, HC and HP produced some, and most recently, Apple entered the game with the Apple Vision Pro, which will come out in 2024. So sit back, listen, and enjoy. Well, welcome, Patrick. Now, before we start, for all our listeners, why don't you explain what a VR game is and give me an example of one of your latest and greatest. Of course. So VR games are games that are designed for virtual reality headsets. If you haven't tried one, uh, you put them on and you kind of find yourself teleported into another world. It's a bit like the, uh, the, the oh God, I've forgotten what it's called actually. On the Star Trek, there's this sort of big place that you can travel to absolutely anywhere. And effectively, it's like that. You feel like you've been teleported to, uh, to, to another world. Um, you can look around you, look above you look behind you, touch things, grab things, and sort of feel like you're there. So you forget where you are. And so these are games that are designed specifically for these headsets to give you a lot of immersion and a, a huge amount of sort of presence. And give me an example of the latest and greatest game that people could go, okay, that's, that, that, that's what one of these games is like. Uh, so we've just launched a game called Synapse, which is on the PlayStation VR 2 headset, which is the, the new Sony headset, which runs on the PlayStation 5. So the Synapse is a game where you go inside the mind of an enemy agent and you've got to try and battle inside the mind to discover some some secrets and it's a really clever vr game that uses very new features like eye tracking you can look at things with your eyes and, uh, and all sorts of other cool tech wow sounds amazing now you've been involved with end dreams for almost 17 years now and tell me what what was in your mind when you decided to set this company up and what led you to start this up? I mean, what gave you, you know, to be an entrepreneur, to have the confidence, to have the capability? What, what was the path that led you to that day when you thought, do you know, I'm going to do this? So I think partly it was because my father started his own business when he was, uh, he had five, he's had his fifth child on the way and decided to start his own business, which was incredibly brave looking back at, at what he did and the amount of money. And he was sending his kids to private school as well, which was nuts. So he was very, very brave to do that. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, he made a real success of that. I'm really impressed. So I think I kind of had that entrepreneurial seed from my dad. And then I'd always wanted to be in charge of my own destiny. And uh, I'd seen, you know, although I was a director there, I wasn't a sort of board director. And I, the decisions were being made that I didn't really agree at at a, a company called IDOS where I was when I left. And I kind of felt like they were at the top of this roller coaster heading down. 
I couldn't do much about it. I'd made a bit of money through some share options. And, you know, rather than buy a flash car, I thought, if I'm ever going to start my own company, it's going to be now. Let's give it a go. What's, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I can always go get another job, but I might end up on my deathbed thinking, oh, I wish I'd given it a try. Mm. So that was mm. really the thinking. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. Uh, that's a real entrepreneurial spirit. And we know a few a few people, don't we, with that kind of spirit. And I think you need bags of that. You know, the the thing about when you're sitting there in your rocking chair at 80 looking back, it's the things you'll regret, the things you never did, not the things you tried to do. Yeah. Well, I think we're all glad you started it 17 years ago. Tell me, what were those first months and years like? So it was exciting and scary. I made a note to myself saying this is going to be really hard. And I had a bit of a little poster on my thing saying this is going to be really tough. Stick at it. It's going to take longer than you think. The end of the first year, we hadn't made any money. We've been prototyping stuff. And I thought, I'm not sure this is going to work. I'm probably going to need to get a job. But I stuck at it. We pitched this ambitious project to Sony. And they went, great. How, how soon can you start? We just need to come and check the team out. And we're ready to go. I was like, ah, I'm on my own. I've <laughs> got a team. But if I can blag my way through this and get a team, then actually we can get going. So I had a number of people who we wanted to hire and got the basically rented an office, took a punt on it, rented an office, got everybody in, made the office look busy, got Sony in to bet us and said, this is all the team that are going to work on the game, which was technically true. Didn't point out they hadn't been hired yet. That was fine. They didn't ask that. And so uh, we talked about the game, got everyone excited. It got green lit and we kind of hired those guys and, and set off from there. Amazing. Have Sony ever heard that story, Patrick? <laughs> yeah, they have. Actually, the producer who betted us actually works for me now. He so <laughs> thought that was quite funny. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, and also to get such a great brand, such a great company uh, working with you so early on must have been incredible. Yeah, it was really lucky. I mean, we'd, you know, I've known Sony a bit through making PlayStation games over the course of my career. But yeah, it was really lucky. And and. Um, we just saw an opportunity to do something very exciting and new. They'd built this virtual world called PlayStation Home. If you had a PS2, I think it was, or maybe it was PS3, yes, PS3, you could actually go into this world for free. You could have an apartment. You could hang out with friends. You could go bowling. You could buy clothing. You do all sorts of cool stuff. And it was really ahead of its time. It was basically the metaverse back before it was a cool mm. buzzword that everyone was using. And we came up with this idea of doing this mad epic game in it and they sort of fell in love with it so it was a very ambitious idea very innovative very cutting edge and you know that's sort of what we've been trying to do all the way through our, our time at engine since brilliant uh, and so i guess that was your first big breakthrough getting sony what were the what was the other if you're looking back now what were the big breakthroughs that came after sony where you you kind of went up a gear went up a level you know what what were the things that you can look back and say they've really made us what we are today. So we were a big fish in a small pond. We became the biggest publisher in this PlayStation home world. And, and you know, we're making just over a million a year. We're making some profit. It was a nice, safe little place to be, but we were never going to get any bigger. And actually, they decided when the PlayStation 4 came out to close down PlayStation Home. And immediately, you know, we initially thought, oh, my God, this cash cow's going. This is awful. You know, this is a really bad thing. But in retrospect, it's the best thing that could have ever happened to us because it forced us to jump from that safe little plateau to to you know much higher ground. So we saw there Sony had a little VR headset prototype. We met Oculus, this guy called Palmer Lucky, who was an amazing entrepreneur who started Oculus and got a ton of funding and then sold it to Facebook within about 18 months for billions of pounds. 
I fell in love with virtual reality and thought this is something really special. We're going to go into this. We're going to give it a go. If we can get in early, we can build a brilliant team. We can get to know all the big companies. We can specialize in it. You know, then maybe there could be something interesting here. So actually, it was that the real negative of having what we were making all our money from shutting down that drove us to where we are. So I think that was one big big moment. And then probably when we decided to get investment, because we had some money, we'd made a bit of profit, but we realized it was going to take longer for VR to really take off than a lot of the analysts had said initially. So we found a really great investor who were very patient and really believed in VR and they backed us for a long time. It took longer than we thought, really supported us. Um, we've got another big investor now. And, and I think those, those moments of getting the right investor have been really big for us. That's allowed us to develop some amazing games to show off what we can do. And, and that then generates the excitement to get more and more contracts and, and sell more and more games. And what's it like? I mean, you, as you say, you've had investment and that was, that was pivotal for you to get that early investment in. And in the last, was it, was it about a year, year and a half ago, you got Aonic in to, yep, as, a, right. as a massive investor for you. What's it like to have a huge investor with having put in a lot of money What's the pressure like? What's the dynamic like? How do, what does it feel like to be there now versus, you know, not having the investor? Do you know, what, actually, the, the, the difficult bit was the first investor. We got a little angel investor who put in 250000 back in the day. That was our first ever investment. And that was a big step change. It's really like having your first kid, right? It's very different going from just the <laughs> two of you eating and drinking to suddenly having a child to look after. It's not quite so bad when you get number two or maybe number three. I don't know. I only have two. But um, so that first one was difficult because it was like suddenly it's not our business. It, it's still, you know, it's still our business, but somebody else owns a bit of it. I think because we got the right investors, it's been great. They, neither of our investors wants to take over. Neither of them wants to tell us what to do. They believe in what we're doing. They love what we're doing. They see our trajectory and they just want to step back, support us, give us money and help us grow. So it's been brilliant because it still feels like our company. Mm. It really does. So nothing's really changed. And I think that's because we got the right investors. I have heard horror stories of some big VCs and PEs coming in who want to run everything, tell you what to do, you know, take you in a different direction, change what you want to do or get rid of execs. You know, we were very lucky in that we chose the right investors who just want to step back and support us. And how much of that was, um, was luck and how much of that was looking around and saying, you know, you're the one we need here? I think it was equal elements of both, probably. I mean, right. we, we found the right people. And in both times, we didn't, it wasn't if we had 10 people to choose from when we could do a beauty parade, you know, both times over, we could be two or three companies that were viable. But I think we just, we were lucky in that we picked the right ones and we attracted the right ones. And, and so I think it was a bit, of, a bit of skill, a bit of luck. As always. As, yep. Jim, as Jim Collins says, it's all about return on luck. We all get the same amount. Exactly. What, do, what do we do with it? You've assembled a great leadership team along the years around you. We've discussed that many times. As a leadership team, what are the best decisions you've made that have made the company the success it is? Because it is now you are the largest VR-focused game developer and publisher in the world, which is some achievement in 17 years. So the big decisions you've made along the way, yeah, you know, what are, what are the ones you look back on and think, that was pivotal. That really made us what we are. That was dangerous. That, what, whatever it was, you know, what, what are those ones that people can look at and go? You can look back and go, yeah, that took us in the right direction. Oh, there's so many. I think a lot of them come back to staying true to your values that you set at the beginning, right? So quite often you get 
options to do A or B and 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 B might sound more interesting or you know you might be really nervous of doing A because you're running out of cash or things aren't going so well you know we've had a roller coaster journey over the time and it's not been a a soaring straight line going upwards we've had downs as well as ups it's been a real roller coaster and we've had harsh times we've had a couple of times in our you know in our life where we had to make some uh, redundancies which is horrible it's the worst thing you can ever do so mm. at those tough moments where you have to decide do I stick to my values or do I move away from them uh, we've sort of stuck to our values so we've you know we've we hired somebody who was potentially taking the business in the direction that would have made it profitable but it just wasn't working for the rest of us in terms of the culture and the values and uh, by and large we've come back towards the values that we started it with which are for us is sort of the importance of family getting a proper work-life balance try not to have any politics and some of us we've had to move people on where things haven't been working inevitably if you kind of look at it through a values prism a values lens mm. you, we tend to make the right calls i think most of the the big calls we've had to make have been right because of that and tell me where did those values come from was it was it would you sit around with the guys at the top or was it with um Tamsin, or were those really critical to you when you kind of set this up at the beginning? Yeah, so Tammy's, uh, Tamsin's my wife, and so the two of us really had this from the very start. We knew that we, we'd seen game development done badly. We'd seen studios that would hire graduates knowing that they didn't really have any family and then force them to work late nights, weekends, all the time, not just at the very end of projects, but all the way through, and it just became the norm. And it was horrible because it's really hard to have a a life outside of work it was just wrong uh, that was called crunch and it used to be quite prevalent in the games industry it still is in some places but by and large it's, it's we're getting away from it, which is great as we grow up and so we were really clear and also we've taken on values from the other execs that we've hired you know we've been we've tried really hard to we have what's called a, an end dreamer so an idea of, of what sort of person we think would fit us and so when we're hiring people it's not just do they have the technical skills do they have the experience do they have knowledge of x y and z package do we like them but also do they feel like an injury do they feel like they're not political that they're actually be collaborative that we can just kind of empower them and let them go that they're going to care do they do they feel like an end dreamer is a question we ask a lot and that that really helps let those values kind of trickle trickle through the company yeah oh, i love it so describe the culture you've created you've got now you've got over what 230 people what does it feel like? I mean, I, I, I get a feeling when I've walked through your corridors and seen the wonderful offices you've got in Farnborough, what it's like. But tell me what you feel it's like to you. I think and I hope that it's a, it's a really caring place. It has that sort of family feel where we do care about you your life outside of work and if you've got problems or challenges or things going wrong we're always you know just tell us and we'll do our best to help you sort them out and help you you know take time off work if needed to get things sorted so you know family comes first um it's been hard keeping the cultures we've grown i mean that's one of the challenges but i feel like we're in a pretty good place it's not perfect we have occasional times where people have to work a bit hard at the end of projects that we need to make sure doesn't happen and we have a couple of fully remote studios now where they are, you know, everyone works completely remotely and, and they don't have an office. So those two studios, it's a really interesting challenge keeping the same culture as we do here at Farnborough, where a lot of people are in most mm. of the time. 
but by and large, it's it's good. I think you know, you ask most people who've left Endreams, what do you think of us? They give a really positive opinion, and actually, we've had an awful lot of boomerang hires where people have come back after leaving, going elsewhere, and coming back. I think we've had 15, 20 of them, and that's a really nice sign because you know you, they also tell people hey do you know what? i really missed it here <laughs> it's not actually the grass isn't always greener out there sometimes it's great to come back and they miss the family feel and the, the culture here so i think i think we've, we're in a, we've got a pretty good culture i'm really proud of what we've tried to try to build and what's your view on um, work from home i know you've got a i think you've got a whole team of developers haven't you who are remote what how does it work with a business like yours where you've got a lot of developers who I guess it's heads down, ear, you know, headphones on, looking at a screen. Is it easier to have people working remotely or or is it just as hard for uh, for you as it is for any other organisation sometimes? No, I think, I think we're quite lucky in that it works quite well for game development. We have had to work at it though. So we have two studios that are hybrid mm. where people will come in two to three days a week. I mean, some might be in all week, but but mostly so two to three days a week, all the social stuff will get done then, all the chatting, all the meeting, the figuring stuff out. And then the other two, three days a week, they'll be at home with their headphones on getting on and getting the work done saving the time of the commute and it just makes life easier for the two fully remote studios they, they work in a slightly different way and actually they're not all at home with their headphones on quite often actually they have an open channel with the entire team just mm. on all the time where they can just chat and and ask advice um and they have sort of regular online meetups so one of the studios you know they play virtual mini golf a couple of hours a, a week and just chat to each other as they walk around the golf course in vr and actually it's a really nice way to chat and socialize and you know bounce ideas off each other so there are definitely ways and methods of, of making it work remotely i think it's hard when you've got some people in the office all the time and on the same team some people completely remote because i think mm. you get a bit of us and them fortunately we've sort of separated the studio so that the mm. two that are remote are completely remote everyone's in the same boat and it just works really nicely for them the, the two studios that are hybrid actually you know everyone's in two three days a week so we don't really get that clash uh, yeah. Well, like, I, I would have thought it's interesting the, 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 the thing you said about playing crazy golf in VR land. I mean, I suppose if anyone can make that work, it's your business and your creativity that can make home working work with VR. Who knows yeah, what it'll be in five years' time? Well, it's getting better all the time. It's actually becoming a really good tool for working. And there's the, some of the new headsets that are coming out, you know, Apple's headset, which they announced recently, you know, looks like it'll be very good for this as well. But, you know, the new, the, the latest Oculus headset is, is is equally good. And you can actually put screens up in your room. You can see through the headset. You can see your room around you, but you can put these massive monitors all around you and you can see your keyboard and do some work and chat to people live and, and interact and draw on a whiteboard and do some really nice stuff in VR, actually. So it's quite a powerful tool for working. And for our game designers to be able to create a level in VR where it's all a 3D and they can push a wall back and drag it out and make it bigger and go, oh, yeah, that feels about right. It's what's a brilliant way of working compared to a mouse and a 2D monitor. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how typical Apple uh, saw that announcement and you've written about it, how that will change computing and bring VR into computing rather than sort of the other way around. And I think that will, that, that will, as you've said, bring VR headsets into the mainstream, which is what Apple are very good at doing. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, it was very much, I think it was a very similar sort of presentation to the, the first iPhone announcement. It was a very, very clever interface, a incredible way of, of interacting with technology in a new way. They've nailed the eye tracking and the just having your hands on your lap 
and apparently everyone who's tried that absolutely loved it. And and what they don't have yet is lots of software. But just like the iPhone launch, they had no software. And, and it was wasn't until the next year when it actually came out, the developers had started to do cool stuff with it. And a lot of the articles after the iPhone announcement were like, well, you know, what are people going to use this for? Um, you know, this is going to be the big, biggest waste of money ever. Why are Apple even bothering? And uh, you know, they're, they're very good at getting things right. So this first headset is expensive. It's not going to sell a big numbers. No one expects it to. That's fine. It doesn't need to. It's a halo model to show off what the future is going to be. And, you know, I think all of the big tech companies believe that ultimately you're not going to be staring down at a piece of glass and touching it with your hands. You're going to be looking through glasses with everything in front of you in 3D, which is a really cool way to, uh, to interact with things rather than on the 2D screen. Yeah, it's 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 completely the future. I I can't wait to get hold of the uh, you know me as an Apple mad person. Yeah, <laughs> getting hold of that first one. I don't think I'll buy the first one at three grand, but I might wait for the second version. <laughs> uh, but it will be great. So talk to about some of your successes, some of the great business decisions you've made. What about the times when you've sat there? You, I think you've mentioned one of them so far, but you've sat there and thought, oh my god, you know this is a massive challenge for us. I guess what have the big challenges been? Why have they been big challenges and what have they taught you along the way? Um, I think every business has moments where things just look bleak and you look at things and go, oh, my God, how are we going to get around this? You know, this is horrible. Um, we've had a few of those. You know, we've had a few times where cash flow has been very tight. We've never not paid staff at the end of the month, but we've got close a few times and that's been stressful. Times when a game comes out and doesn't sell for whatever reason or something gets, a project gets cancelled that someone's funding or whatever. You know, there are moments where you just sit there and go, I can't see a way through this. And, and you just have to go, right, you know what? Let's come fresh tomorrow with a great management team. We're just going to figure out what the best path is we can possibly do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm, I'm lucky because I'm naturally an optimist, you know, and actually we've got a nice balance within the exec team of, you know, realists and maybe slight pessimists and me being Mr. Bouncy Tigger optimistic person. So, you know, I'm, I'm very rarely down and, and I'm always kind of, I'm, yeah, I can always see the light at the end of the tunnel, even if it's a very long tunnel. So, We've, we've just kind of kept that leadership team, right, you know what, this is bad, but we're going to find a way through this. Let's let's brainstorm ideas. We've had investors who have, you know, supported us and actually having a good investor on board is very useful in those dark times because if you can show them a vision of where you're getting to and they can mm. see that your trajectory is up, even though the short-term bump is down, then they're there to support you and back you if they believe in what you're doing. So I think, you know, that, that's been useful. If we haven't had our two investors on board, you know, we at, at certain times, certainly the first investor, there'd be moments where without them, we probably wouldn't have survived as a company. So what I'm taking from that is get a great leadership team. You've got to have some optimists in there and some really positive people, either the CEO or some people alongside them. Don't panic. Come in the morning fresh and sit down and have the confidence that you're going to figure it, figure it out. Yeah, I think so. And as long as your leadership team are willing to be sort of open and vulnerable, which I think is the most important thing. I've seen some leadership, I'm sure you've seen loads being a kind of leadership coach where the the teams aren't vulnerable and aren't open, you know. But if your leadership team are willing to admit mistakes and share problems and we all take it on as a group and it's not your problem or your mistake, it's it's our issue to deal with, then I think with a good leadership team, you can do anything. And certainly the investors that I've spoken to back teams they don't back ideas because yeah 90 of ideas don't quite work as planned and they have to sort of mm. pivot and move away but if you've got a great team 
then actually they'll figure out the right route through. Whereas if you've got a great idea with a bad team and that idea doesn't work, you're stuffed. No chance. Absolutely. Now, talking about ideas, looking from the outside in at your business, it always struck me that you must have so many great creatives in there, some great innovators. Is it about finding the right people? Is it about having great processes? Is it about creating the right culture? How do you... What is it that creates a business like yours where you can come up with great ideas, you can turn them into reality, you can produce some amazing games? How do you make that happen? So, do you know, it's it's a combination of things. We definitely have some very creative people and that helps. And having creative people with slightly different brains in a way, you know, so it's not just being able to come up with great ideas, but maybe having somebody who comes up with great ideas but also gets the audience and understands what people want is really important but also we marry the kind of creative innovation which we have lots and lots of ideas and lots of you know we're way too many games we could ever make lots of people say to us you know how on earth are you ever going to come up with new ideas it's like we've got hundreds of them we just don't have the time to make them but what we do do is we we look at them through a commercial lens as well. So we have a publishing team who look at the market, look at what's selling, look at what's popular, look at what people are playing, look at what the gaps in the market are, what they think might not be able to sell. And so the very best games, in my view, are a combination of that commerciality with real innovation and something creative and new. Mm. And mm. ideally, you get the two together. Quite often, if you just have an innovative game, it's amazing, but nobody buys it. Or a commercial mm. game is just a copy of something else and a clone and really boring. We try really hard to marry the two together. So I think it's... Part process, part making sure that every idea is looked at through a commercial lens as well as a gameplay lens. We do prototype ideas, which means we will try them out in a little grey box very mm-hmm. early on. We'll, we'll, you know, if we've got an idea for a new way of playing VR, we'll try it out. We did a game called Phantom Covert Ops where you're in a kayak. And so we didn't know whether paddling a kayak in VR would work well or not. But we tried that out really early and actually it was brilliant fun. And it was like, great, what a great start to the project. So trying the gameplay out really early on, even if it looks ugly and it's just lots of grey boxes being moved around, is really important. And we do a lot of that as well. Well, I can vouch for Phantom Ops because I played that in uh, in your studio one day. And it was, uh, uh, having been on a couple of your games i can't what was the one where you flew over london or was that uh was that just a a side one? Oh yeah that was a google that was actually a, a demo of a google earth vr thing i think where you could literally load in 3d google earth and 3d That's google right. maps and actually dive around and it's brilliant it just gives you a completely new perspective on cities and it's great for understanding how i never knew how soho and downing street and buckingham palace and all these places i, mm. I went to for business were interlocked you know i'd only ever seen them from a tube and i had no idea and actually you look at it from a view like that and it's really easy to kind of understand how they all relate to each other yeah I and mean, i think that when i think uh, tr- trying some of your games or trying some of the technology that was the first thing i can remember and then covert phantom ops was the second one which i just found Unbelievable. It really brought home to me the power of VR when I tried that. But now with Synapse, you've gone even further, I think. So you've done a hell of a lot over the past few years. What can we expect from Endreams in the coming few years, in the next sort of, you know, three years? I don't know what horizons you think in, Patrick. Very difficult with sort of technology <laughs> moving at the speed it is. But what can we expect of Endreams in the coming years? Well, I think in many ways, we're at the start of a really exciting phase. So in some ways right you know from when we started vr in 2013 to now it's been the kind of getting to the commercial point the the point where hardware sales are starting to 
to exponentially grow, the point where you can make some serious money if you get games right. We've reached that point, and that's been quite hard to get to. But now there's 20 million odd Quest headsets, PSVR 2 selling well, head of the first PlayStation VR, Apple are coming in, there's new headsets coming out all the time, and new Quest headsets coming out. So there's a lot of positive reasons and a lot of a lot of commerciality now. So for us now, it's about scaling and growing. We're doing a lot of um, third-party publishing now, so we're growing that a lot. So we're out there looking for little indie developers around the world who have got great little VR games but just need some money or some funding or some publishing, and we're helping them bring the games to market. So we'll be growing that a lot probably continuing to expand the team i think we'll probably head up towards 300 for sure and you know i hope we have a a smash hit that's one of our secret goals internally we've had some successful games we've done very well we haven't really had a smash hit and that's one of our goals and uh, you know i really hope we'll get there we've got a lot of great games in development and we're really proud of them all i've no doubt you'll have loads of smash hits (laughs) in the future some quick fire questions to end on if that's all right with you i mean they, they always head them by saying it's quick fire but often they're not quick fire but anyway <laughs> we'll see where we go you've actually mentioned you're looking for what an end dreamer is and before you'd even said that i'd written down you know what you're looking for in a new starter so explain there's a person sitting out there who's looking at your company thing god i'd love to work there what are the qualities you think yeah that's a perfect end dreamer so we want someone that's going to be collaborative, that doesn't want to kind of own everything themselves and be a silo of brilliance, but they like working with other people and they're not sort of arrogant about what they do. So I think collaboration is really important. We definitely like people who aren't political. So anybody that says one thing to one person, something else behind their back to somebody else, they don't last very long here at all. We'd much rather people were open and honest. If there's an issue, a problem, something you don't like, something you think's not working with anything, just raise it in a nice, polite way and we'll figure it out together as a team. So I think that's pretty important. Energy and enthusiasm is quite important as well. So you know, not everyone's super energetic, but you know, having some drive, some optimism, you know, sometimes you come across people who are almost like, call them some of those dementors from Harry Potter. You know, they sort of suck energy from you. Yeah. It seems that, you know, you come in really enthusiastic and after speaking to the buffalo, you're like, oh, I'm drained <laughs> and miserable and negative now. So we, you know, we try to look for people that have got some kind of energy and uh, and drive and we'll make people, we'll, people will enjoy working with. You know, they don't have to be the most social person in the world, but a certain amount of that really works well. And I can imagine when you walk around the office, you're giving out quite a bit of energy yourself. Where do you get your own energy from? Have you have you have you ever thought about that? What what gives you the energy to build this business and keep going? That's a really good question, and I haven't really thought about it. I just I wake up every morning and I really look forward to it, and that for me is a great thing. I think if I ever was like, oh, I not don't want to come in, I'm not enjoying this, that would be the time to to wrap it all up. But I love it. Um, I think I've just got a huge energy source within me. Uh, somehow I'm just lucky enough to have that. So even if things have gone really badly, you know, I, I might be down for 20 minutes, half an hour, and then I'd be like, oh, well, you know, right, let's go do something good. So I'm, I'm, I'm very often in a bad mood and or angry. And, and actually, I'll tell you what, if I'm ever, if I ever shout at anybody, which is like, you know, once a decade, it's, it really gets noticed here because I'm, I'm not like that normally. <laughs> uh, you can make a lot of money, money by bottling your energy, I'm sure. <laughs> So here is a quick, quick fire question. A good book or a good film? Oh, it's a good question. I think my favourite, it's not, a, it's, it's a fiction book. Am I allowed to do fiction and not a sort of business yeah. leader advice book? I really love 
a book called Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. It was one of the first books I read and I just loved it and I still have a very special place for that. There's a great, so many great business books. The leadership map's very good, I believe. <laughs> I really good. wasn't <laughs> looking for you to say that. <laughs> uh, it's a great, it's a great book I used to read called uh, Blue. O- I think it's called Blue Ocean Strategy, and it was yeah. about sort of the strategy that Nintendo and um, companies like that take in the games industry, where they're trying to do stuff in completely open water, very new, rather than copying the crowds, and that's really interesting. Films are anything by Christopher Nolan. I love normally. Inception is still one of my favourite movies. Mm. You like both then. So final question. A gritty leader you most admire, living or dead, and why? Oh, that's a good question. Am I allowed to go for somebody I know? Well, actually, you know, the funny thing is most people do when you ask them this question. Most people go, well, it's actually, you know, this, the guy who runs the scout team. It's, it's, <laughs> never, it's never Nelson Mandela or Steve Jobs, funnily enough. So, it, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'm, I mean, this is a bit of a cop out, but I do generally mean this. I'm going to go for somebody who was on your podcast recently, Don Gamer, because I think he's a blooming brilliant CEO. And if we're talking to him over the years, I've got to know him. I've learned an awful lot. And I think he's a great example of somebody, uh, you know, his business through COVID particularly, um, you know, running a go-kart track or anything like that, where you've got public coming to it, where you have to just suddenly shut. It was absolutely horrible and the way he dealt with that and you know gritty is to grit, talk about gritty leaders he did it brilliantly so actually i'm going to go for dom because i think he's a he's a superb leader and a great example who's very much alive right very much alive <laughs> and uh, yeah i think we both agree massively on dom uh, i i put him right up there right up there with you patrick <laughs> so well look it's been a pleasure it's been lovely to talk to you and learn more about uh, end dreams it's incredible success it's only going to go one way in the future. You're going to make a smash hit of it and get those successes you, you've dreamed of. So um, thanks for coming on the podcast, Patrick. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Ian.